This earth will pass, and with it common trifles. But God and I will go unendingly. Good morning, saints. Good morning, morning, sinners. It's a good thing to know our position before a Lord who is full of truth and grace. Uh, wanted to congratulate uh, Miss Hodge back here that she's graduated with a degree from the University of Arkansas and more that you can fill a whole uh, row full of people uh, on a Sunday morning. We're glad to have your family with us. If you're a visitor with us this morning, we hope you find it easy to worship with us. And if you're looking for a, a church home, welcome home. There's nothing more than we'd like to have you with us every Sunday. We continue this Sunday in our Believe um, series, studying our key beliefs, because what we believe molds our hearts. It determines our behavior and changes who we are becoming, both as a church and individually. What we believe matters. Proverbs 23 and 7 tells us, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Our key scripture for the whole series is Luke 6, 45. A good man brings good things out of a good stored up in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. As we study through this 10 weeks, we're going to look at key beliefs. Last week, we studied God, who God was, how the Trinity was put together, the individual parts of God that make the personalities of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and how they were each separate personalities, yet they are one God. And this begs the question, if there is a God, is he personal? The key question this morning is, does God, does God care about me? I know that there's a God. I can't help but look out at night and see the universe and, and not know that there's an architect out there designing things and making things, creating things. And when I, when I look, when we get down on a cellular level, on a microscopic level, I can't help but, but see God in the inner workings of the, of the micro world and how he's put 30, or excuse me, 3.1 billion peptides together to make you're an eyes DNA. But does this God care about me? Is this a personal God? The key idea this morning is that we do have a personal God. I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. Soak that in just for a second. Can you make that statement? I believe God is involved in and cares about my daily life. Bottom line is, I I believe my God shepherds me. I believe my God shepherds me. 
He gives me what I need. He takes me where I need to go. He provides for me. He overwatches and he, he keeps me secure at all times. Our key verse this morning is Psalms 121, 1 and 2. I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Do you see where David is? David recognizes he's down below and God is up above. And he's looking out to God and he's saying, I realize I realize where my help comes from. So this morning I'd like to make uh, some points about what God is. But before I do that, I want to talk about what God is not. Okay? Because there's a lot of bad thoughts about what God is and they're wrong. And I want to clear some of those up. First, he's not this resident policeman. Okay? He's not got the sin radar on you and wait until you're going by too fast and make a mistake so he can write out a ticket and administrate the the maximum fine on you, okay? And I know a lot of people who have this this police mentality about God that he's he's this all-seeing eye that's watching you, not to care for you, not to love you, Rick, but to... Slap you on the back of the head when you do something wrong, to write you a ticket, to administer pain and suffering. That's their idea, and that's not God. If you've got that view of God, I'm sorry. You were mistreated as a child. And he's not a grand old man. He's he's not some old guy that's just spun up the earth spun up the universe, and now sits back on his throne and watches creation. That's deism. And he's not a parental hangover, okay? We as humans, we like to take things, and and we like to take human characters, and we like to take those characteristics, and we like to push them off on other things, okay? We do this all the time. I mean, uh, Home's Funniest Videos, they've always got some guy talking for a penguin or a cat or a bunny, you know? But we want to do that for God, too. This is called anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. Yeah, like I didn't have to practice to say that one. Right after I got through saying rubber baby buggy bumpers. Try that one three times fast. See how it works out. We want to take our human character, and we want to project it onto God and give him, give him human character. But the problem with that is if I, if I take my concept of what God is from my father, then I take all the flaws from my father or from my mother and I project them onto God, and that's not God because God's perfect and holy. And that's not who God is. So God's not a parental hangover. And God's not a managing director either. Some people have this idea that God's this managing director. He's created everything. 
And he's looking at the big picture. He's making sure that the, that the sun doesn't suck us in and burn us up in a puff of smoke, right? He's taking care of all these things so he can't possibly be involved this morning with your life because he's a managing director over all these things. So then it comes down to fate. Life is just about fate. And so that makes us fatalist. And that's not God either. Because God is infinite. God can do many things. He can hold many things in his mind. He's, he's all-knowing. I, I have this uh, thing on my phone. It's called RunKeeper. And sometimes I turn it on on my phone when I go for a, for a ride. And it keeps track of everywhere I go. And there's about 10 million of us who run, bike, swim, jog, skull, and it keeps track of all of us, where we went. And it's not even 99 cents. And it's thousands of us, tens of thousands of us. So, you know, I think that if we can create... If we humans can create a little app on a phone that's not even worth 99 cents, we give it away free to keep track of where we go and what we're doing. Don't you think a God who's infinite in power and knowledge and understanding and who's omnipotent is everywhere all the time? Don't you think he can keep track of your life this morning? There's only 7 billion of us. Well, this begs the question. What about this personal God? And so this morning, let's take a few looks of characteristics of this personal God. This God who is good. This God who has a plan. And finally, a God who cares for us. First, this morning, God is good. We, we come not too far in Genesis, and we come to Genesis 16. And this story is where Sarai and, and Abram, a.k.a. Sarah and Abraham, they're 86 years old, and they've come to the conclusion, Tom, that God needs their help. So Sarah says to Abram, sleep with my maidservant, Hagar. Can I tell you that never ends right, Okay. Thank you for noticing, David. That never ends right. And so Abraham does just exactly what his wife says to do, and he gets Hagar pregnant, and she becomes pregnant. And now that she's pregnant, she's kind of uppity. She's kind of acting like she's all that, and it really just distresses Sarah. She can't stand it. She is so mean to Hagar, Hagar walks out into the desert. And when she's walking out into the desert, she then realizes what she's done. She's out in the wilderness, the desert. It's dry. There's no water. There's no, way, there's no food. She's going to die. And the angel of the Lord comes to her. I believe this is Jesus because of some of the verbiage that's used here. Okay? And then that's where we find this verse. God tells her to go back. God tells her to, to go back and 
live out her life, but she's going to be blessed with a son. And this son is, is going to have many children in a great nation, okay? But look at verse 13. Maybe you've read over this a hundred times and not seen this. So she gave this name to the Lord. She's not giving the name to Ishmael. She's giving a name to this Lord, this God who is in front of her, who is telling her where to get what she needs. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. She has come to the realization that we all need to come to, that God is good and he sees me individually. He sees you. He knows what's bothering you. He knows what's hurt you. He knows exactly what you need. And she's recognizing this. And she calls, she calls this well that this angel, this Lord, which I believe is Jesus Christ, she calls this place Bir Lahiroi. I've read this over a thousand times and never noticed what Bir Lahiroi meant. If you look it up, you'll find it means the well of him that lives and sees me. It's the well of him who lives and sees me. He's providing. The well represents God and he's providing. He's the one that sees me, Don, and understands what I need just when I need it. And I'm telling you this story because Hagar is not part of God's of God's providential plan to be, bring Christ into the world. She's a side story. She got duped into this. She got talked into this. It's not long, and, and here we are at chapter 21, and the drama continues. Now, it's 13 to 15 years later. Ishmael is now either 13 or 15 years old. Hagar's son, okay? And so finally, Sarah has a child. And for some reason, Hagar's child laughs at this baby boy. And Sarah catches a glimpse of it. And it makes her mad because she thinks that that boy thinks he's going to get some of the inheritance and she can't stand the thought that he might get some of the inheritance. And so she goes to Abraham and says, kick the woman to the curb. Get her out of my house. I don't want her ever thinking that she's going to have anything to do with this inheritance. And Abraham has a real problem with that, but God convinces him that he's going to take care of her and just go ahead and do. Set the family right. Take her out of the house. And so Abraham gives her this huge cantina. Isn't that just what you need? He's got all this stuff, and he sends her out into the wilderness with a cantina, with a little water bottle. Okay, so Abraham has huge faith. I don't want you to miss this. 
that God's going to take care of her. But Hagar doesn't know this, and she walks out into the desert. And she's in the desert, and she's got her teenage boy beside her. And she lays him down underneath a bush, and he figures they're going to die. And guess what? This good God comes and intervenes again. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to her, Hagar, from heaven and said to her, What's the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. Do you see that? I always thought this was a baby, right? Because it said he laid her under the tree, under the bush, in the shade. And in my mind, it was always this little baby that she's putting down. No, she's putting down a full-grown teenage boy to die under this bush. And then God comes to her, and he says, I see you. I hear him crying. I know how desperate you are. I know what you need, and I'm going to provide it for you. I don't know if the well was there before she sat down or if he dug it and made it right then, but he opened her eyes to what was there, to take advantage of what was there. How many times does God in our lives open our eyes to exactly what we need, and it was always there? How about 2 Kings 20? Good King Hezekiah had a great life, lived for the Lord. Isaiah comes in and says, hey, you lived a great life, but you're sick now. You're going to die. Put everything in order. You need to get your life in order because you're about to die. And Hezekiah, he freaks. He turns towards the wall and he starts praying to God and he starts crying out. And even before he can get out of, before Jeremiah can even get out of the, God calls to him. And he says, I have heard the prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you and I will give you another 15 years. God's good. He's listening. Do you get that? He hears your prayers. God's given Hezekiah all Hezekiah ever deserved. And he's willing to add 15 more years on. Why? Because Hezekiah glorifies God. And he's asking, he's praying for something that will continue to glorify God. And he gives him just what he needs, what he asked for. Another 15 years. Why? Because God is good. So God is good. Number two, God has a plan. God tells Jeremiah, before I formed you in your womb, before I knew, I knew you, before you were formed in the womb, and before you were even born, I set you apart. And I set you apart so you might be a prophet. Do you see that? God has a plan for us before we were ever a twinkle in somebody's eye. Jeremiah 29. God has a plan. This plan is not just individually, but this plan is corporately for a nation. 
He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. God has this plan for Baldwin Church of Christ. God has a plan for our our town of Fayetteville, our nation. God has a plan for us corporately to prosper us, to give us hope, to give us a future. And if we're glorifying God, he's going to follow through on that plan that he has for us. You know I love Ephesians 1. Paul says to the Ephesians, before the creation of the world, before the creation of the world, I've predestined you to adoption. He tells the Ephesians in Ephesians 2 and 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Which he prepared for in advance for us to do. Dusty, that's amazing. Before I was born, God already planned out for you and I to do good works. And you know what? Here's this good work, and I, I, I should be doing it, and I don't, and I turn my back on it. And God, through providential working, he creates another plan instantly for my good works and for me to become a part of somebody's life and help somebody and do good, do righteousness. And I'm either going to walk in that, I'm either going to be a part of that plan, or I'm going to turn my back on it. But don't think for a second Betty, that he hasn't planned your whole life out so that you could do good. He has a plan for you. How can you ignore this scripture? And we know that all things, talking to the Romans, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. All things? Are you saying, Keith, that God takes all things, everything that happens, and he's trying to work it out for my good? Yes, so that you might be conformed to Christ, that you might look like Christ. God is good. God has a plan. And third, God cares for us. Where do you start with this one? God cares for us. I mean, where do you start? Do we read the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelations? Because the whole book of the Bible is about the redemption of man, right? So where do you go with this one? I'll just lay one on you. As I read As I read this next scripture, you've heard it a hundred times. I want you to let it wash over you. Can I tell you this morning, if you've got your eyes closed, I hope you're praying for me. Listen to this. Let it pour over you. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through 
the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Some of you are thinking, well, Keith, my life doesn't seem all that grand right now because I've got really bad stuff going on in my life. There's some, there's some things that are really painful in my life right now, and I just kind of find it hard to believe that God really cares about me while this bad stuff. I, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe somebody has died in your life recently. Maybe somebody... Maybe somebody was in a car accident. I've got a friend whose, whose husband was hit by a cement truck. And it changed her husband forever and he will never recover. And I've got people who I know that have lost their job through, through no, no behavior, nothing of their own. Just lost it. And James says, the brother, the half-brother of Christ says this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. And sisters, whenever you face trials of many kind, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature, complete, lacking in nothing. Maybe one of the reasons that God has let something awful happen is because you're not complete. You're not mature enough. You haven't taken on the personality that you need to, and you need to get through something so it will make you a better person. There's an Arabian uh, proverb, and it says, all sunshine makes a desert. And it does. All sunshine, never raining, Never having a little rain in your life, all sunshine eventually causes all the grass to die and the trees to die and become parched. Anna and I, when we go to Bolivia, a lot of times we'll go to Chile. And to do that, you have to cross this path in the Andes. And in Anacama? Anacama Desert. It's where they take the Land Rover the moon land rover, to practice with because it looks so much like the moon. It's completely a desert. Nothing grows there. It's depressing. It's scary. It it's, it's, gives you chills on your back. When you look over this land and there's nothing, as far as you can see, no cactus, nothing, just rocks and sand, and it's desolate. And that's how we are if we don't have a little rain in our life. You know people like that, right? They're born with a silver spoon in their mouth, and they get everything you can imagine from the time they're born till they're, and they're a desert. They're miserable, and every person around them is miserable, right? Because they've never had to endure anything in their entire life. They've never been made mature. They're incomplete. They're lacking. Folks, maybe the reason that you think God doesn't care for you is that God is actually 
working in your life to make you a better person. I know it seems painful right now, but you are going to understand someday that it's going to make you a better person. You're going to be able to be more empathetic with those with the same problem. You're going to be able to minister to the same people who have gone through the same problem you have in your life. It's going to make you a better person. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not reject discipline of the Lord or loathe his reproof. For whom the Lord loves, he reproves, even as a father corrects his son in whom he delights. There's these two boys. And on the other side of the intersection, at the other side of the curb, of this busy highway, there is a playground. And both boys desperately want to get to that playground. And one boy looks over at the other and says, My mama told me, if I ever try to cross that street, she will blister my bottom. And the other boy looked over at him and said, Well, my mama never told me anything like that. Which child do you think's loved? Which child is loved? Hebrews 12 says, All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but to be sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Maybe right now you're going through some really tough times and you're saying, does God care for me? And some really bad things are happening in your life because you have made some really bad decisions. You've fallen short. You've sinned. And can I tell you this morning, all sin has consequences. All sin has consequences. And maybe, just maybe, the things in your life that are going on that are painful, they could be a result that you sinned. But it not it better that you receive some consequences that change your behavior, change your attitude, and keep you from sinning than you walk out into that traffic and get hit by the Mack truck? And sometimes we are so slow that God has to come along and discipline us and we have to pay the consequences for our bad decisions. Not so he can put pain upon us, but so we can learn not to do it again. God cares for you so much, he wants you back. Whatever you have done, whatever you have become. I love Luke 15. You know Luke 15. Luke 15, Jesus comes along and he's, he's, trying, he's trying, Rick, to explain this unbelievable love of God to humans. He's trying to, to make humans understand this in, inevitable, unexplainable, bigger-than-life love and compassion God has for humanity. And so Jesus puts in words the best he can, and he tells a parable and says, it's like, a, it's like a shepherd, and one of the sheep gets lost, and he goes gets the sheep and brings it back to the fold, and everybody celebrates. 
And it's like a coin, a precious coin that a woman loses, and she tears her whole house apart so she could find that one coin and bring it back. And that's like the love of God. And then he tells this story about this son we call the prodigal son. And I just, I'm just going to tell you half the story because there's two sons, and you ought to always think about two. But the one, the one goes off and lives, t- demands his inheritance, takes his inheritance, squanders it, living with prostitute, right, uh, riotous living, doing everything immoral that he could think of, And then he runs through his money, has to feed pigs, which is to a Jew is the most awful job in the world. And he's starving to death. And he says, if I just, I'll just go home to dad. I'll go back to dad and I'll work as a slave. Because none of dad's slaves, none of dad's slaves are starving to death. I'll just go back and do that. And when he when he starts his way back, he's got this all, all this rehearsed in his mind, what he's going to tell the father, that he just wants to be a slave and just feed him. If you'll just feed me, dad. And he comes up and he walks up on the road and his father sees him a long ways away. And his father pulls up, tucks in his robe and runs to his boy and wraps his arms around him and puts a robe around him, puts a ring on his fingers and sandals on his shoes. And they go off to start singing and dancing and celebrating. The boy is home. A Brazilian missionary shares this story. There was a woman, Maria, who was raising a child by herself, Christina. And Christina and her grew up in a very poor village in Brazil. And all they had was a shack and a pallet for the girl and a wash basin to wash and clean all out of the same wash basin and a little wood stove. And the girl wanted so much, Christina wanted so much to have a bigger, better life. And her mother did the best to raise Christina. Christina raised up to an older teenage girl. She was gorgeous, beautiful. And one night, in the middle of the night, Christina got up, got all her small belongings together, and ran off to Rio. And the mother woke up that morning, heartbroken. Her girl was gone. She knew exactly where she'd gone to. And her mother knew a girl in Rio de Janeiro who was beautiful but had no discernible skills. She knew what would happen to her. She knew the only way that she could make a living and survive. So her heart was broke. Her mother gathers all the money that she has, goes and buys a ticket. And while she's at the bus depot, she looks over and she sees one of those personal portrait booths that takes black and white pictures. And she starts feeding the money inside that booth until she's almost given all her money to the booth and taken all the pictures she can. And she took the handful of these little one-by-one pictures and she goes off to Rio. And when she gets to Rio, she takes the pictures and she cuts them 
individually, one picture at a time, and she puts them on every phone booth she can find, and every bulletin board, and every seedy hotel she can find, and she slips them into the corner of the mirrors at hotel restrooms and bathrooms, and she puts them on every small bulletin board she can find looking for her daughter. And she doesn't find her. Brokenhearted, she gets back on the bus and goes home. A few months go by, and Christina's dream had turned to a nightmare. And Kent, what she, what she had dreamed of most had turned to a nightmare, and now all she could dream about was that little cot at home in the village. But that wasn't her life anymore. It was prostitution. And one day, she came out of a hotel room and walked down some stairs. And over in the corner on the side of the seedy hotel, they had a little bulletin board where people were putting their cards of business up and call girls could put their phone numbers. And there in the corner was her mama's picture. And it burned her eyes. And she ran over to it and she pulled it off. And she ran her hands over the face of her mother. And thought if I could just touch her face again. But I can't. Because of what I've done and who I've become. And Dusty, she turns the photo over. And on the back of the photo it says... Whatever you have done, whatever you have become, come home. That's God. He's watching you from afar and he wants to throw his robe around you and clothe you in Christ. He wants to take that ring of identification and put it around your hand and give you sonship. He wants to put shoes on your feet and make your walk in life easier so that you might have life and have life to the full. This morning, if you're not in Christ, if you've walked away from the Lord, no matter where you've gone, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've become, he calls you, come home. May the grace of the Lord of Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father.